Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. Black Was the Night by Lawrence Boer Jr. The cold November wind was whipping mournfully about the decaying old house, tugging at the sagging broken shutters, and rattling the few window panes, left entire, in their rotten, worm-eaten frames. It was raining hard. The streams of chilly water, driven by the howling wind, were pounding heavily against the leaky, untiled roof. Dreary rivulets ran noisily down the eaves, and splashed off onto the muddy grounds below. I stood silent, by a trellised pane, gazing out into the bleak darkness. For countless nights I had kept patient vigil there, by the window, and had been unrewarded, but tonight was to see the end. I was exultantly sure of it. Beyond the weedy lawn, covered now with myriads of shallow pools, beyond the thin scattering of forlorn trees, their bare withered branches uplifted in futile protest against the vicious blasts of the storm, beyond lay the sunken, rutted roadway along which he must come. Black was the night, impossible for human vision to pierce the ebon mantle of darkness. Yet I waited patiently, somberly, watching the stone-flagged walk whose narrow breadth traversed the muddy lawn to approach the collapsing portico. It had happened on such a stormy night as this, I mused reflectively. It would be only just that the end should come now. I felt no anger. Only a faint emotion of pity stirred in me for the man who must come tonight, such as I are beyond all violent passions. But what was that? Among the deep shadows on the lawn, a deeper shadow stirred. Slowly, silently, a black figure was creeping toward the lonely house. Carefully, I drew back from my window. I had not waited these weary years to lose my prey now, through premature discovery. Through broad fissures in the clapboarded walls, damp draughts swept to play odiously about me. Gaseous exhalations of decay filled the rank, miasmic atmosphere. But these I ignored. I was beyond caring about such trifles. Slowly, the black shadow neared the house. There came the soft creaking of the warped, crumbling planks which floored the dismal portico, as the figure mounted upon it. The sagging, unpainted door squeaked shrilly on its loose, rusty hinges as, little by little, it yielded to the firm pressure of a thrusting body. That grim door had opened once before to admit a somber envoy of death. Now it swung wide to admit through the yawning portals death's victim-to-be. I chuckled joyously as I crept from the black and empty room to descend the ancient staircase. The noisy, dilapidated treads did not betray my stealthy footsteps. Silently, I reached the hall below and sidled quietly toward the open door. The man stood on the dismal threshold, warily, attempting to pierce the shadowy gloom. 
as the wind and the rain drove through the door in fitful gust to spatter the unplastered walls with spray. Still chuckling inaudibly, I crept nearer and nearer. Though he could not see me, I could see him, see his fearful start, as my voice wafted softly to him, borne on the ebony darkness. Please come in, my dear sir. It is very cold and very wet outside, I know. You wish to view the premises? He staggered back in sudden terror, but recovered himself admirably and stood stiffly erect, facing me through the blackness, as he demanded in a voice harsh with the fear he could not entirely control. Who the devil are you? I bowed and smiled, though he could see neither in the deep gloom, as I answered cryptically. I am the one who waits for him who shall return, and, returning, find me keeping watch and ward. Visibly, the man pulled himself together, his broad shoulders squared back, and his massive head swung high as he stared at me through the darkness. His voice came back more assuredly. A caretaker, eh? Strange that they did not mention one in the village. But no matter. I desire, as you say, to inspect this old homestead. Have you any objections? Though he was asking a favor, one which might easily be refused, one would think his tone would be courteously requesting, but no. Rather it was arrogant and commanding as if he dared me to reject his demand. But I would not refuse him. Oh, no. I had been wearily awaiting this night too long. I replied, It is a great pleasure to have you, sir, greater than you know. But this hall is damp and chilly. If you will follow me, there is a chamber where you will be more comfortable, and we can talk. It is not much, to be sure but it is my humble best. I turned and strode away. Let him follow if he will, and I knew he must. He had come too far to turn back unsatisfied now. I was right. For a moment he hesitated, then came after me, stumbling through the blackness, tripping over loose floorboards, and swearing angrily as he caromed against the walls. Down the narrow and dark corridor I stepped lightly. The hall was bleak and dreary, noisome with the rank odors of decay. Ghastly, pale fungi clung thickly along the dismal walls. I heard him gasp as he brushed against the soft, clammily cold stuff, but he came on steadily as I unwillingly admired his nerve. Into a small and cozy room I led him, bright with the flickering light from a blazing log fire, cheerfully warming the chamber with its ruddy glow. Drawn up and waiting by the fireside were two dilapidated chairs. More than this the room did not contain, and more was not needed. A single narrow window gave on to the gloomy grounds outside. The corners of the room were filled with constantly changing shadows, whose size and depth shifted with the flickering flame. I stood aside, and he entered wearily, but the hot fire soon dispelled his fears. Eagerly, he crossed the room and hung up his streaming outer garments, 
to dry in its baking heat. I watched him carefully as he passed the dirty brown splotch which stained the bare flooring by the window, but he did not flinch. A good actor he was, or of poor memory, I reflected. As he moved away from the door, I swung its protesting panels shut behind him. Inaudibly, the spring lock snapped into place. Startled, he looked up at me to demand sharply, Why did you close the door? I smiled reassuringly as I walked toward him. Drafts, my dear sir, drafts, I said. The corridor is damp and chilly, this room warm and dry. Surely you prefer it to remain so? Nodding, he turned once again to the cheerful fire. I took a seat in the chair deepest in the shadows, and waited. The next move was up to him, and he would make it in his own good time. Patiently I sat, and stared at him silently. He had changed since I had last seen him, but in these many intervening years that was only natural. I studied him closely, noting the stocky, muscular figure Still formidable, though he must be approaching middle age. A dangerous man I knew only too well. His determined, obstinate features and his air of commanding power proclaimed it. He looked keenly at me in return, and I feared did not like what he saw. I was not surprised. I knew well enough that I was not a pretty sight, though I might have warned him that before long... He would be as bad. If he had been a weaker man, I believe, he would have shuddered in honest repulsion. But being who he was, he only bit savagely into the end of a long black cigar as he spoke. I dare say you are wondering who and what I am. Well, my name is Monson, Dr. James Monson, and I am an investigator for a psychical research society. I am here to look into the alleged activities of the... Ghost, which is reputed to infest this homestead. Here he stopped short and glared at me, as if I had expressed doubts as to his veracity. But I only nodded and said nothing. I knew he was lying, of course. His name might be that which he had declared it to be, but his being an investigator for a psychical society was an unqualified untruth. After all, I laughed quietly to myself, who should be better acquainted with such investigators than I? Expansively he went on, convinced that I was only a stupid country yokel who would believe him implicitly. Since you are the caretaker here, you must be able to tell me all about this so-called apparition. Come, tell me how it looks, when it is likely to appear, and all the details you may have concerning it. Slowly I shook my head, as I replied, I am sorry, but I have never seen this ghost of which you speak. He sat up stiffly, and glared incredulously at me, as he snorted. Nonsense, man! Why, the village is full of wild tales about it, and other investigators have reported its existence. No native of these parts dares come within a mile of the place. I am only surprised you have the hardihood to live here. Come now, tell me all about it. Here 
he reached into a capacious inner pocket, and, producing a bill, tried to press it into my unwilling hand. But I drew back hastily. I did not wish to come in contact with him before the proper time. Again, among the shadows, I shook my head. You should not believe the village's superstitious nonsense, I chided. I have been here these many years, and have never seen an apparition about. Still, he did not believe me, but, momentarily baffled, he fell silent. The chamber was very quiet. The flames of the once blazing fire were burning low. From out of the farther corners, the black shadows crept cautiously, advancing across the narrow floor to embrace more and more of the room's expanse in darkness. They shrank back in sudden dismay as a crackling log collapsed and fell into the red embers, causing a bright flare of ruddy light to shoot forth into the room. But as the glow died reluctantly away, they came on again inexorably. Outside, the fierce storm was at its height. The howling wind swept by the isolated old house, shaking its rotten timbers as if in fury. The chilly rain poured down from the black, sullen skies in veritable torrents to pound viciously upon the collapsing roof and seek every possible aperture for its unwelcome entry. The grounds outside were nothing but a shallow, icy lake, from whose dull black surface shivering bare trees protruded drearily. Then, somewhere in the empty, brooding house, a loud crashing noise sounded, as its reverberation shot eerily through the deserted, vacant rooms. The man jumped to his feet and stood crouching, his head cocked to one side, listening fearfully, his whole body tense with terrible expectation. I watched him amusedly from my chair among the shadows. Then I murmured mockingly, Surely, sir, you are not still thinking of the ghost. I thought I assured you that I have never seen one about. Sheepishly, he sank back into his seat and mopped his suddenly streaming face. Then he spoke, seemingly casual. I am sorry for behaving like this, but for a moment I thought the house was falling. What was that awful noise? Probably a crumbling beam in the attic snapped and fell at last. I shrugged. This house, I fear, is rapidly going to pieces. He glanced wonderingly at me as he said, I marvel that you dare to continue under this roof. What with ghosts and danger of being buried under the ruins at any moment, it, it must be very unpleasant having to live here. I smiled secretly. Ah, but I never said I lived here, did I? I merely stay here, and I shall not have to do that any longer. Puzzled, he looked at me keenly. Then, I fear, came to the conclusion that I was a bit mad. He ignored my reply and turned to matters that most interested him. He asked casually, Since you won't tell me anything about the ghost, 
Perhaps you will give me the story of why there is supposed to be one. There must be some grim tale behind the superstitions, eh? I saw through this subterfuge. He wished to get me talking, and then draw me out by degrees, until I should have told him that which he wanted to know. But I was willing. In fact, I had been eagerly awaiting just such an opening. The bleak night was passing, and dawn must soon arrive. I must hurry and complete my task while there was yet time. I began deliberately. Yes, there is a tale, and though not a very grim one, according to modern ideas, yet the sequel is bad enough. Once a man lived here, all alone in this huge house. This man had a strong distrust of banks and investments, and, being fairly well-to-do, he was foolish enough to keep his fortune secreted in this house. All might have been well, but the news of his peculiar habit got around, until it was known all over the surrounding community. Several times robbers attempted to break into the house and steal his hoard, but always he was too alert for them. At last, driven to distraction by the thieves' constant annoyance, he was forced to bank his money, for its possession in an isolated house was becoming a menace to his life. Unfortunately, a tramp, passing through the region, heard the usual tale of his great wealth lying about unguarded, without hearing that this was no longer true. One stormy autumn night, that tramp, driven by want, attempted to break into this house. It was bad luck for both of them that the owner chanced to be awake, and heard his crude attempts to force the door. The man was unarmed but he determined to ambush the robber as he came along the corridor. He stood in a doorway and waited. Soon the tramp succeeded in opening the front door and crept down the hall in the darkness. As he passed, the waiting man tackled him, and there proceeded to be a grim struggle in the gloom. The tramp was strong, but so too was the other. For several long minutes they fought in blackness so deep that neither could see his antagonist's face. The scene of the fighting shifted from the hall into a small room, where, in even greater fury, it went on. Furniture was smashed, chairs hurled through the shadows. The house trembled as the locked figures crashed from wall to wall. At last... The tramp felt himself tiring, and, in despair, he felt about him in the darkness for some weapon. He was lying now on his back, with the other on top and pounding him heavily. His searching fingers fell on the cool haft of a wicked paper knife, long and slender. He seized it, and, with one vicious upward slash into the soft flesh of his hovering opponent, the fight was ended. Shakily, he disengaged himself from the dying man and staggered to his feet. Now the full consequences of his mad act struck him, and he anxiously hoped he had not killed the other. He found a miraculously unbroken lamp, and lighting it, he bent over the huddled, slumped figure, lying in a widening pool of blood.
the man was not yet dead. As the light fell upon the ghastly pale visage, he partially opened his eyes to glare up at the face of his remorse-stricken opponent. For a long moment they stared eye to eye, the first time they had ever seen each other's countenance. With a long, gasping gurgle, the dying man stiffened sharply, and then relaxed. With a cry of fear and despair, the other ran from the room, out of the blood-bathed house, into the night. He was never found. No one but the victim knew what he looked like, and it was surmised that he had quickly cleared out of the region. If it were not for the later appearance of the apparition of the murdered man, the incident would have quickly been forgotten. No one wished to live in a haunted house, and so, deserted, this place has been going to ruin under the stress of wind and weather all these long years since. The man stirred uneasily, the ruddy glow of the dying fire tinging the pallor of his face with crimson. He started to speak, hesitated, then began again. You seem to know a good deal about the matter for a caretaker. One would almost think you had been there yourself. Then, speaking as if to reassure himself. But that is impossible. Tell me, you spoke of a sequel. What can it be? So far, the tale is a very commonplace one of an unsolved murder, complicated only by the nonsensical story of a ghost which you have assured me you have never seen. I stared moodily at the fire before answering. The once leaping flames had died away, until nothing but red embers covered the grate, their illumination tending to accentuate, rather than relieve, the deep black shadows that had already engulfed most of the tiny chamber, leaving our position by the fireplace only an island of dim light immersed in a sea of darkness. Then I stirred in my chair as I spoke softly. The sequel is obviously one of vengeance. It has not happened yet, but as long as the guilty man walks the earth unpunished, the blood of his victim will cry out for vengeance, and it will come. That I know. He glanced at me curiously. You are a strange caretaker, he said. How can you expect the crime to be avenged? Why, the criminal might be dead. I shook my head slowly. He is not dead. I am as sure of that as I am that you are sitting beside me now, and murderers always return to the scene of their crime, they say. He stirred uneasily in his chair, then laughed hollowly. That is nonsense, <laughs> But even if the murderer should return, no one would know. Why, he could come here tonight, as I have come, and be unrecognized. No one has ever seen his face. Somberly, I gazed at him, then reminded, The victim saw him. More assured this time, he laughed again, as he declared, And he is dead. Suppose now that, driven by a morbid curiosity, the murderer— who has by now become a man of respectability and reputation, were to return to the scene of his crime, attracted in part, as well as repelled, by the reports of his victim's ghost haunting the house. Suppose that he were 
mad enough to give way before this morbid attraction, which is silly, of course. Do you think he would risk it if he did not know that he was absolutely in no danger? Why, man, the law cannot touch him. For a long while I did not reply, savouring, in anticipation, the joy of the coming moment. The fire was nearly out now. Only a few gleaming embers cast a dim, lurid gleam against which the black hulk of my companion was silhouetted darkly. I did not care. I would have little use for any light soon. Outside, though the wind still howled and the rain poured down, the black skies were lightening to a sullen leaden hue as the false dawn crept over the invisible horizon. I stiffened in my chair as I murmured softly through the shadows. You forget the spirit of the dead man. Have you never considered that he might have been waiting for you here all these years? He turned a startled face toward me. Then he chuckled, relieved. I admit that I had some such fear. <laughs> Silly, was it not? For I never believed in ghosts, for me to fear one anyway. But, as I expected and hoped, it turns out it was only a wild tale. You claim never to have seen this spirit in all these years you have been here. And you should know. Suddenly, he stopped and leaped to his feet. Y you devil! Who are you, anyway? So you thought you would trap me into admitting I'm the murderer? I'll kill you for this! His chair, overturned in his haste, fell onto the few remaining embers and blotted out their faint illumination entirely. I, too, had risen to my feet and sidled slowly, joyously toward him as the blackness covered the room like an ebony mantle. Kill me, will you? I murmured softly. We shall see, though it is impossible, I'm afraid. You seem to have taken me too literally when I declared I had never seen this spirit. Of course I hadn't. I couldn't. I paused for a moment to let the fateful words sink into his fear-stricken mind as I groped for his soft, white throat. You see, I am the ghost of the man you murdered. <laughs>